Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25, reading through 34. And if you've been paying attention, um, this has been our text for the last three weeks. This is the conclusion of a three-part mini-series on freedom from worry. Now let's hear God's holy and infallible word at Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25. This is Jesus preaching. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And from here on is our special focus this morning, where he says, O you of little faith, So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's God's word for us this morning. Jesus, in the first half of our verses, uh, and we've seen this, he gives us a number of reasons not to worry in our text. He he first, and this is verse 25, gives this argument. He says, look, if, if God gave you the greater gift of your life and your body in the first place, he will certainly provide you with the lesser gifts of life, like food and clothing, to keep your life and body going. And then after that, Jesus tells us to look to nature for comfort. If God cares for the birds, even though he is not the heavenly father of the birds, he will certainly care for us who are his children. His creation is valuable. He cares for this creation. He keeps it all going, but We are even more valuable. And so he will for sure care for you. And if he cares for the grass and and the lilies that are here today, gone tomorrow, how much more won't God care for you who were made for eternity? A Swedish proverb says that worry gives a small thing a big shadow. That little proverb makes me think, of, uh, I think I've seen any number of cartoons when I was little where there's this huge, scary, hulking shadow, and, and, and you're looking, it's the shadow, something's coming from around the corner, and the shadow turns out to be from this tiny little mouse. Worry sometimes makes us scared of very small things. You know, worry is even worse than that. Worry more often than not, makes a big deal out of what turns out to be absolutely nothing at all. It's not even a little mouse. There's nothing there. Because worry 
is so often irrational, and, and we know it, Jesus gives us reasons to think about, not to worry. But he does even more than give us reasons. He tells us, and this is our focus this morning, that worry is ultimately somehow a matter of faith. Because he says, oh, you of little faith. And I imagine Jesus not saying that just disgusted with us and scolding, but so compassionately and loving to the worriers. Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. He doesn't say, oh, you of no faith, because he's talking to his disciples and his followers. Worriers have faith, but too little, it seems. A pastor who, who I read these last weeks who says a lot of helpful things about these verses suggests that people with little faith are people who are saved. They belong to Jesus. They have the promise of eternal life, but somehow for them, the full implications of salvation aren't being experienced. And so our faith is, is confined. It's it's lacking. It's small when we worry. This morning, first, three reasons how the ultimate problem of worry is a lack of faith. And then we're going to move to three, reason, three ways to solve that problem and increase our faith. Worry means we have little faith first because Worry means we are being mastered by our circumstances instead of mastering them. Worry is bringing tomorrow's possible cloud over today's sunshine, right? Worry is life ruling us. Worry is us being a victim of our circumstances. Stuff happens to us and we slouch our shoulders. We get deflated. Our world is completely rocked by our circumstances. That's not how Christians should live. The Bible tells us we can rise above our circumstances. We can soar on eagles' wings. We can rejoice even in suffering. We don't slouch our shoulders, whimper, curl up in the corner. And some of the problem is we're not thinking as we saw, Jesus is calling us to use our minds a bit and our reason in these verses. A person of little faith is not thinking about these things. Something happens that throws us, and we're like, what am I going to do? What's going to happen to me? But faith makes us stop and think in a Christian way. Despite our circumstances, we control our thoughts. We hold to what is true, like the things Jesus tells us in our verses, Worry, going around in circles like we do in our bed at night sometimes, that's really a failure to think. When you're doing that in your bed at night, and, and I've done it, I, I'm, I'm not thinking rationally. By not thinking, we can be mastered by life instead of walking tall as children of the Heavenly Father. Second, worry is also a failure in this way, it's a failure to take Scripture at face value and to just totally believe it. 
when we're in trouble, we, we should go to God's word and, and take his word as it is. It's filled with his promises. Remember that, that sermon series a year ago, Standing on the Promises. It's filled with truth that meets us in our need. Something we talk about, and I talk about it in every profession of faith class, every new members class, often we talk about it from the pulpit, is that faith, Christian Reformed Church, has a high view of Scripture. This is God's holy and infallible word. God's word is perfect. It doesn't change. Well, when the rubber meets the road, do we really have this high view of Scripture that we claim to have? If we're always worrying, then, well, we must need to wonder whether maybe our view of God's Word is pretty low after all. Instead, as a believer, you can make a conscious choice to go to the Bible, hear it, trust it, place yourself under it, and believe it. Believe all God's promises. There's one final way worry indicates little faith, and that's worry misses the implications of our salvation. Our faith is a truth for life. It's actually what a, a well-known uh, preacher, I think he's on Moody and many other places, Alistair Begg, that's what he calls his program, and it's true. Our faith is a truth for life. What we believe isn't something up in the clouds, it's for every day. It's not like intellectual stuff, doctrine to be thought about sitting in our easy chair fondly with the smile. It's a reality for our hearts. It changes our lives. We know the truth of God's sovereign plan. We know about his love, his care, his power. Little faith is a failure to apply what we know. It happened once in, in Luke 8 when the disciples were worried about a storm that was kicking up while they were in a boat. And they went to Jesus, who of course was as calm as can be, and said, don't you care if we die? Remember what Jesus asked them? Where is your faith? Apply your faith to the situation, guys, come on. You know, it's kind of a, a, poor, a poor version of Christianity. You have this wonderful faith that saves us, but then, then, then is wimpy by worrying and agonizing about the future and the state of the world and all the rest. So if little faith is the problem of worry, the solution would be more faith, right? An increase in faith. How do we have greater faith? Well, I think Jesus gives us a few ways in verses 31 and following. Ultimate solution to worry is an increase of faith. The first is be different from the pagans. You see that word pagans in here. Jesus is telling us that uh, to be worried is to be living like pagans. And when the Bible uses that term pagan, a pagan, uh, we could get into the background and everything, but it, it means people who don't know the Lord, right? Right? I think we all have a sense that a pagan person doesn't know the Lord, doesn't know the true God. 
And people who don't know Jesus tend to believe, you can believe any number of things, but tend to believe either everything kind of happens by chance, and so there's really no real purpose to life, or, or they might believe that everything will be, will be, nothing we do can change it, and so you don't really have any control over your life. And those, both of those ideas in different ways can make you overly attached to this world and to stuff. If there's no direction to life, if there's no meaning, if we're not really going anywhere, if there's no promise of an afterlife, well, you might as well get all you can out of this one. Maximum pleasure now. And this is why Jesus says they seek after these things the pagans do. He means they are living for these things. And if we're that attached to stuff, when we don't get what we want, we're going to be worried. When we look to the future, we're going to be worried. Well, I have what I need to be happy in this life because that's very important to me. And the question is, are we who believe in Jesus like that? It seems like it's possible to have a correct view about sin and salvation and Jesus, but then in our day-to-day life, sometimes, maybe a lot of the times, have a non-Christian approach to things. And and so I, I think we need to ask ourselves, do I face things that happen to me in this world as if I don't even know God? What's my reaction if I don't get a raise? How do I react if I get sick or if a loved one passes away? Is my faith functioning? Is my faith functioning? We can increase our faith by being aware that worry is basically, it's a non-Christian worldview taking us over. The Sermon on the Mount is not describing people who who act and live just like everybody else. The Sermon on the Mount is describing people who are different. And God's Word, Scripture, gives us a different view of the world. Our view of life, our reaction to things, those of us who believe in Jesus, is totally different. And faith is an active thing. It's not Passive. Are we choosing to use it? A pagan loses his temper very quickly. A pagan gets all hurt and sensitive very easily. A pagan seeks revenge. A pagan crosses people off their list and never going to deal with them again in their life. They went too far. A pagan loses it when something doesn't go according to plan in life. A Christian stops. A Christian says, hold on. Before I lash out or react or get upset or lose it or bite off my fingernails with fear, I'm going to make a choice. I'm not going to let circumstances rule me. But I'm going to put what just happened in the context of everything I know and believe about my Lord and my relationship to him and his relationship to me and what he did, 
and what he decided back in eternity and accomplished on the cross. We're called to plainly and clearly walk a different road from the pagans, not just so easily act the same, do the same. Second way to increase our little faith is to rely on the Father. Put our trust in him. Rely on God as our heavenly Father. Verse 32 reminds us that we're children of God. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, like food and drink and clothes. Jesus had told us about the birds and God's care for them, and our value compared to them is even greater just a couple verses ago. But it's so important that we hear that God is our heavenly Father, that he says it right away again. Don't you know that your heavenly Father knows what you need? Don't you know that nothing can happen to you apart from his fatherly hand? You can't even lose the hairs on your head apart from him. He knows You need these things. He knows your concerns. He knows what makes you anxious. He sees us when when we're sick, when we're sad, when we're alone, when our heart aches, when we worry about if we're going to be able to provide for our families, when, when we worry about having a roof over our heads in retirement. God is with us. We're never alone. He's our Father, and Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I have not left you as orphans. I've made you my children. And and knowing this, it it should make worry and anxiety and and our cares, should make them just vanish, disappear forever, right? Third, finally, we can increase our weak faith by seeking the Father. We don't live as pagans, we rely on the Father, we put our trust in Him, and now we seek Him. Verse 33 is the verse that talks about seeking Him. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and, and all these things will be given to you as well. There's a, a, a one pastor uh, wonders if there's a little humor going on from Jesus. Jesus concludes the do not worry section with this. It's like he's saying, you want to worry about something, let me give you something to worry about. Your relationship to your heavenly Father. Not in the sense of worrying about our salvation, of course. That's a gift of God's grace. When we believe in Jesus, it means we've accepted the gift and and then nothing can snatch us out of God's hands, Jesus tells us. And we can have assurance of that. But it's in the sense of once we are saved, this is what our focus should be. Instead of all these other things, our relationship with the Father, that's where our hearts and minds need to be. Seek that. Seek that rather than all these other possibilities. Make this your priority. Make this your new favorite. It's like in a marriage. A husband and wife marry, and then after the Lord, that relationship is to be number one in their life. What's going to happen 
if, if they don't make an effort to make their spouse number one after Jesus? Well, even if the marriage doesn't break apart, over the years, it's going to degenerate. That relationship will not be nearly what it could be. It might just limp along. And that's a sad, sad thing. The other option is that the husband and wife are continuing to give priority to the other. And then that marriage can thrive, bring great joy and comfort through life. It shouldn't need to be said that our wife or husband, if we're married, is to be our number one focus. But it does need to be said because we don't always do it. We forget. And it's a similar thing with our relationship with the Lord. We forget the obvious. It's not too hard to look at your life and evaluate whether you're putting God first. We see that commitment in in public worship, in family devotions, in the extent of our private times with Jesus. You you can see it in, in... committing every area of our life to him, especially our giving. And all these things, it's not, it's not too difficult to evaluate whether someone, whether you yourself are seeking the Father first. Has it ever happened to you that something goes wrong? It's happened to me, so I'll admit it. You turn to God in prayer. You need him so much. Something terrible has happened. And you start calling out to him, and you're reminded of how you have slacked off. You've been slacking off in your prayer life the last weeks, and you feel kind of sheepish. You feel kind of foolish uh, going to him, because you know you've been saying your prayers, but now, in your need, you're really seeking God. You're looking for him. You're needing him. A Christian knows the difference. You know it in your heart between seeking the Father or not. The attitude said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who are seeking the Father, his kingdom. A person who seeks him will have confidence in him. Freedom from worry. And so if you want to be anxious about anything... Well, then be concerned about your, your spiritual life, your, your nearness to God, your relationship to Him, your, your concern for His priorities in this world. The greater concern about your relationship to God will drive out those lesser concerns. If we seek this greater thing, what does Jesus say? All the other things are going to be added as well, and that's a pretty cool promise. Solomon's mentioned early on in our verses, and, and that, that promise is like King Solomon. You remember that? He didn't pray for riches. He didn't pray for long life, but he prayed for wisdom. And guess what? He got the rest. God threw in the rest because he made the greater thing his priority. And that's what God does. Put God first. All these other things will sort themselves out in whatever God's plan is for your life. His plan isn't to make us all live long lives like Solomon. His plan is not to make us all as wealthy as Solomon. But the promise is all of those other things 
will sort themselves out. You'll be fine. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. Jesus concludes, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think that pretty much says it. Don't live like the pagans. Rely on the Father. Seek the Father. When, when God's children make those choices with his help, freedom from worry will follow. 